And just when you thought it was safe to go out again, <laughs> Father Kevin's flip charts are back. Yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> if you are a Christian, sooner or later, you will face a moment where you say, how did I get here? God, you led me into this. I, I obeyed you. I did exactly what you said. But look where I am. God, I never thought it would be this hard. How would you fill in that blank? I never thought blank would be this hard. Maybe that this marriage would be this hard. Or that this singleness would be this hard. Or that this divorce would be this hard. That parenting this child would be this hard. That this new job you opened up for me, Lord, would be this hard. I have a pastor friend who clearly followed God and was called to a smaller church in Chicago. And he thought, you know, since God is leading me here, I know he's with me and that the church will begin to flourish. And he worked hard and he prayed for revival, but the church struggled. And he struggled. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, I never thought the Christian life would be this hard. I never thought the church would be this disappointing. I have, I have three friends at three different churches, each of whom blew the whistle on a higher up, and every one of those reporters ended up being accused. So how is it that when we obey God, what so often happens is we suffer. Our, it's our obedience that often brings us into suffering. It's faithfulness to God that may lead us to pain. I wonder if some of you are in that place right now. How do we deal with that? Well, the prophet Jeremiah went through this a lot. He obeyed God when actually most other people were caving in. And what Jeremiah gets for obeying so often is suffering. And I want to look at what Jeremiah chooses to do when he's in this place, right here. Because that will give us a way forward when we find ourselves in that place too, when we join Jeremiah right there. And when we are saying, God, what are you doing? I never thought it would be this hard. And I want to show you this tonight because I think it will help you. I know it's helped me. But I do need to just say right up front, Jeremiah's chosen way of how to respond to this may make you feel uncomfortable. Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 1, when the priest, Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. What things? Well, the things that Deb Nickerson taught us about last week, and so I'll just give you the quick uh, summary. 
Jeremiah invites various leaders to go with him on a field trip out of town to the city garbage dump. And he takes along with him a ceramic jar. And when they get out there, he takes the jar and smashes it down on the ground, and it breaks in a whole lot of pieces. And then Jeremiah says these words from God, I will smash this nation. I will smash this city just as the potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in this garbage dump until there's no more room because my people were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. Well, Jeremiah does all that and he says all that in direct obedience to God, just as God asked him to do. And what happens? Everyone else there hates Jeremiah for saying that. So they're wondering, how can you be so unpatriotic? I mean, if some enemy army does come against us, like you keep saying it will, we need everyone to support our troops. If you're saying we're going to get killed, that is going to wreck morale. And not only are you being unpatriotic, how can you be so unbiblical? I mean, all of us leaders, we know the scriptures inside and out, and there's no way that God would destroy the temple that he asked to be built or led us to build. Jeremiah, you're unpatriotic, you're unbiblical, you're a heretic, you're a crank, and you're a crazy and dangerous person. And so to keep his extremist views from spreading, the priest has him beaten. Now, different items were used for beatings, uh, the whip, of course, but actually one of the more common was a rod, like a walking stick. And this kind of penalty is still used over a thousand times every year in Singapore. It's called judicial caning, actually a number of other countries as well. It's a, it's a legacy of the British colonial period. But if you are a male under 50, you can receive up to 24 strokes. And according to Wikipedia, quote, the prison officers who administer caning are generally physically fit and strongly built. They are trained to use their entire body weight as the power behind every stroke, as well as to induce as much pain as possible. They can swing the cane up to 99 miles an hour. So once Jeremiah has been beaten and broken, with some kind of beating frighteningly similar to that, they put him in the stocks. Now, when you and I hear, hear the word stocks, we kind of picture one of those kind of corny photo op things at like the cowboy corral section of the theme park, you know, where mom puts her head through and everybody takes the photo. But the stocks for Jeremiah uh, probably held his hands out in front of him, so he can't move those, and his feet also out in front of him. So he's actually on the ground, but bent over. So his back, which is now bruised and probably bleeding, is in a chronically bent position. I tried to imagine this. Middle Eastern sun, it's hot. Sweat trickles down into your eyes and makes them sting. You can't scratch your nose, you can't eat anything, you can't drink anything. If you need to go to the bathroom, too bad for you. That just adds to your humiliation. And good luck sleeping, because they're leaving you in there overnight. Then add to all that physical pain, the social rejection. These stocks are right outside the temple. 
at one of the busiest gates of people going in and going out. So everybody coming in to worship God and everybody leaving, having done so, sees Jeremiah there. And scholar Andrew Dearman explains, with the temple looming in the background, Jeremiah's treatment is portrayed as God's judgment on him. And so Jeremiah experiences that sinking feeling that not only is all lost, but God seems involved in his pain. And at this point, Jeremiah moves, like we may move, to a place that I don't think I've ever heard exactly like this in a sermon. Feel duped by God. Feel duped by God. Jeremiah calls out to God, verse 7, in a cry. It still makes our ears ring. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. Or as another translation puts it, you fooled me, God, and I have been your dupe. Your fall guy. You got me. In the New American Bible, the Catholic translators had the guts to bring out a theme within that Hebrew word, seduced. You seduced me, Lord, and I let myself be seduced. Honestly, I, ha I just had to pause studying this. Jeremiah is being this honest. Whoa. I would guess this is more honest with God than many of us here tonight have ever dared to be. Telling God right to his face, you tricked me, you conned me, you duped me, you set me up, and now look at my life. But here's my point. Getting to this place at some point in your life if you are obedient to God, if you are a faithful follower of God, is not optional. Not optional. Sorry. When we obey, it is very likely that we will suffer for that. And notice, Jeremiah got the most suffering from his co-religionists. Prophets always have the most trouble with them. And then we feel duped by God. Now, this may not be optional, but here's what is optional. What you and I do right there. What do we do in this place? As a pastor, I try to think, and what I see as a common response, maybe the most popular, is first, when people get here, they feel very disoriented because along the way, they may have had preachers or churches either tell them or give them the impression, if you follow God, your life will get better and better. Your marriage is going to be amazing. Revival is going to break out. And so they blame themselves. They go, I must have sinned. I don't have enough faith. And if they do let themselves honestly feel, God, you tricked me. And, and, and admit that to a Christian friend they are likely to have that friend say, oh, you shouldn't feel that way. And inside they think to themselves, well, it would be sacrilegious to say to God, you conned me. I'm definitely not going to tell him you seduced me. And so they stay silent and they politely drift from God. They drift from God. They drift from their call and they drift from their faith. I personally think 
that it is unresolved suffering that has brought more people to here than anything else. So what do you and I do with this inescapable reality that we will obey God, suffer for it, and we may very well feel like Jeremiah does, duped by God, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what Jeremiah does. You ready for this? Rant to God. Whoops, here we go. Rant to God. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. I can't. He's basically telling God, God, you've put me in a double bind. If I speak out for you, people insult me and they hate me. They beat me up. They put me in stocks. But if I try to prevent that by shutting up and just staying silent and not saying anything, it makes this prophetic fire inside me just burn. And it's unbearable. And the rant goes on, verse 10. I hear many people whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him, let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps Jeremiah will be deceived, then we'll prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Now, how is it, how bad is it when even your friends are waiting for you to slip and mess up so they can pile on and take revenge on you? This is not the first time Jeremiah has ranted to God. It's the sixth. Yeah. Scholars call these laments or confessions because that sounds more scholarly and much nicer than grievances or rants. Now, how does God handle Jeremiah's rants? I read all six of them. And sometimes God is very tender. One time when Jeremiah rants, I'm hated everywhere I go. I wish I just died when I was born. God is very tender and says to him, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. But sometimes God is tougher. One time Jeremiah rants, why does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? And God is kind of like the coach who says to him, you got to bring your game up another level. And he says, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you'll be my spokesman. But what I find interesting is whether God is tender or tough, depending on Jeremiah's need at that moment, God replies to Jeremiah's rants. He is not thrown off by them. You know what? God can handle the truth. Do you know God can handle your truth. I wonder what would happen if you chose to rant to God. Actually, I think I know. Because here's what happens for Jeremiah. In the middle of his rant, he finds this one small but powerful word. But. But. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. All that suffering's true, but you know what's also true? The Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. 
So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. And you know what? It hasn't been. 2,600 years later, we're still saying Jeremiah was right and they were wrong. Jeremiah was ranting to God and they were polite and observant and they were his enemies. And Jeremiah was God's friend. But if we are starting to get a little bit comfortable with this idea of ranting to God, this next verse may make us squirm. Verse 12, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. So this holy prophet of God, hold on here, is asking to see God take vengeance on his enemies. Yes, he is. But notice, it's not, I will take vengeance. It's you, Lord. Bring justice. Looking to God means I don't become violent. I don't take matters into my own hands. I trust my situation to God. And that's what Jeremiah does. As he rants, he begins, as he gets it out, he begins to trust his situation to God. And as he does that, Jeremiah can even praise the Lord. He says, sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Now notice, Jeremiah starts out ranting, and he ends up saying, praise the Lord. I would say, rant till you're restored. Bring your grievance to God. Bring your pain to God. Bring your self-pity to God. Only in God's presence do we move from, Lord, you deceived me, to the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Only in his presence do we remember his promises. Only in his presence does our despair start to turn to hope. In the months before uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he was planning the poor people's campaign and speaking out against our country's war in Vietnam. And he plunged into despair. He spent his last birthday in meetings trying to convince his staff why they had to bring disenfranchised, low-income people to Washington, D.C. and shut it down. Michael Harrington, who was there, says, in all the previous times I'd met him, King was an extremely ebullient, relaxed, even exuberant man, very warm, funny, good-humored, a nice man to be around. But at that meeting, I felt that a lot of that had gone out of him and that the tactical situation had put him in an almost despairing mood. And King was saying to his staff, look, after we get there, we'll call the peace movement in we'll, and try to close down the Pentagon. I don't know what Jesus had as his demands other than repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. My demand is repent America. We live in a sick, neurotic nation. But then, like Jeremiah before him, King found that powerful little word, but, but, he said, this campaign is based upon hope. Hope is the final refusal to give up. I refuse, he said, to give in to the politics of despair. So what do we do with all this tonight? 
I know some of you, you're right here tonight. You have obeyed God, and it has caused you to suffer. And you need to process that. And so I ask you this question. Are you gutsy enough to rant to God? Do you have enough faith to bring him your accusations, your grievances, your pain, your self-pity, your disappointment, your complaint? Moses did this. Hannah did this. Elijah prayed, I've had enough, Lord, just kill me. John, <laughs> David prayed to God, wake up. John the Baptist poured out his doubts. And may we say with reverence, even our blessed Lord prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what? It takes faith to wrestle with God. Are you willing to hang on to God even when it has brought you to here? Rant till you're restored. Amen.